So this morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series called We're Not There Yet. And we're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, just to kind of give us a little bit of context before we read. So um, Peter is writing to, uh, it, it seems like it's just kind of a general letter to Christians that are living in the five Roman provinces of northern uh, Asia Minor. And uh, they are... Um, those in that area are threatened by Romans who find Christianity to be at odds with the dominant religion and culture, which is the Roman religion, Roman culture, lifestyle, and they're starting to experience some mistreatment. And so he is encouraging them. And where we pick up, he has just spent uh, a little bit of time um, encouraging them to continue like this holy living. And what he tells them is that because of what Christ has done for you and what Christ is doing through you, that you should continue to be obedient to God and uh, there's a certain way that you should be living. And so we pick up here in chapter 2, verse 1, where the author writes this. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of God's Word. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this, this time this place, this opportunity to gather together with friends and family and loved ones and to worship you, to sing praises, to, to laugh together, to, to pray together, to embrace. Later after the service, to serve together. But right now, together we turn our attention to the Scriptures. We pray that you might open our ears, that we might hear. But Lord, you know that even when we hear, we don't always listen. And so help us to, to listen for your voice. To seek your Holy Spirit. And to be transformed into the people that you have called and created us to be. I pray this morning for a clarity of thought. There's a ton of stuff going on in this head. But I know that there are, is something that you have for us. And so I pray that you might hide me behind your cross, get me out of your way, so that it's you that we experience here today. For all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So I'm glad to be coming back. Um, what's that? Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Andy. At least one of you are. Um, and so, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm grabbing this, this sheet music here for a second. There's something I want to find. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'll be, I finish up my eighth year in June.
Yeah, and so uh, I'm looking forward to number nine. Because, I, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I'll be starting number nine. Isn't that crazy? Oh, were you doing like the Beatles white? Okay, never mind. So, yeah, okay, we're going to just ignore Corey the rest of the day. <laughs> so, um, uh, so anyway, I, you know, because I've, I've been thinking about this, like I, I feel like by now you, some of you, know me pretty well. Um, and what you see is what you get. Right? So, yeah, absolutely. And so if, if, you, if you come into my office on Monday or whatever, I'm the same person that you see on Sunday morning. If you happen to um, come into my backyard while I'm mowing my... Stefan's my neighbor, and last Sunday I was mowing my yard, and he came over, and his exact same guy he was talking to in my backyard that he was talking to on Sunday morning. I just, this is, this is who I am, and I feel like I'm just now really starting to get to know some of you, too. I feel like uh, you know when I'm joking, you know when I'm not. I think I have an idea of when you're joking and when you're not, and some of you, you seem like you're always joking, and some of you, I feel like you never do, and so... Um, but there's this comfort level, and I think that as the comfort level begins to go, I don't see that as a detriment for us. I feel like, I feel like there's a trust that has been built over these um, almost eight years now, and there's still things to do, right? There's still people to see and to meet. There's still places to go. There's still work to be done. And I think that we understand that. I hope that we understand that, that we're not there yet. That there's still places that we need to reach into outside, but also inside. Um, so what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, and here's, here's the trouble I'm having right now, is that um, it's a series. So I got to be careful not to like unload the gun in one sermon. Right? But all that's going on in my head, so I've got to figure out like, how we're going to do there. And so uh, I don't know if anybody was noticing, hopefully not, hopefully you were paying attention to what was going on in here, but um, I was, I've been frantically like, writing things all over my notes. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Today's going to kind of be an overview of what we're talking about when we say we're not there yet. Then next week, we're going to talk about obstacles to this journey that we're on. And then after that, the only, the only word I could come up with was destination, but I don't feel like that's the right word. But I don't have a better word, which bothers me because sometimes I pride myself. Pride goes before the fall. I guess this is the fall. Um, I pride myself on being able to use words. Um, but I'm not really thrilled with destination because I feel like maybe it's more of like the, the, what we're trying to get to is that road sign, that arrow that points this way. Um, because I don't think that the journey that we're on as, as followers of Christ ever actually ends. But I feel like there are times in our lives where we feel like it has. And that somehow we have, we have made it. it. You see, I think sometimes we, we think about faith like an airport. Some of you have maybe heard me use this analogy before. I think what we do is we feel like, okay, I've made it through security. Whew. All right, so now I don't have to worry. I've made it through security. I've gotten to my gate. If I need to, as long as I don't exit security, I can go get myself something to eat. Uh, now the airport's so wonderful, you can actually even go shopping. Um, but I can do the things that I need to do. I'm in, right? I'm in. Um, 
I can even sit down and start to flip through the brochures again, or who uses brochures anymore? I can pull out my phone, right, and start looking at, or my tablet or whatever, and I can start looking at my, this vacation destination that I can't wait to get on the plane and get to. And oh, is it going to be so great when I get there. Um, but did you ever not go someplace because you had already read the brochure? Look, I don't need to go. I've read the brochure, right? Oh, I'm sure it's not going to be any better than the pictures I saw online when I was planning that vacation. Right, and so that's how we sort of think about our faith. Or sometimes we think about our faith as in, okay, now I, um, I believe, and so I have arrived. I would like to point out that the first people, the first entity, whatever, that identifies Jesus as being the Son of God in the Gospels is actually a demon, and so to say I have arrived because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, congratulations, you're on the same level as a demon. There's more to it than that. Uh, sometimes though it is about what I believe. But then I love this song um, by you 2 And verse 3 says this, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors, they will bleed into one. So he's talking about He's actually talking about the, the kingdom of God, the reign of God. He believes that, that when this comes, everyone's going to be equal. Everyone's going to be the same. He says, but I'm still running, right? You broke the bonds, talking about Jesus. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. And you know I believe it. You know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So, I don't know if um, Bono was thinking the same thing I am. Probably. I think he and I would, you know, we'd, we would enjoy a beverage together. But, but anyway, uh, it's this idea that even if you have the right beliefs in place, don't for a moment think that you have somehow arrived. And... and I had a friend one time tell me, he goes, I don't need anybody to tell me what the Bible says because I've read it for myself. He says, so have I. And I still am blown away when I read it. You see, this journey that we're on, it's not about the arriving. It's about the becoming. We're called to continue to grow into our spiritual beings. We are, okay, does anybody, does anybody argue that you are a physical being? Everybody agree you're a physical being? All right, are you, are you an emotional being? Okay, are you, um, are you an intellectual being? Yeah. All right, now we're like, well, now we're getting questionable. Uh, are you a spiritual being? I always laugh when people tell me that I'm not very spiritual, and I was like, you, you just, you're human. You are. You're a spiritual being, whether you like it or not. Um, and so all of these things should continue to grow, and, we, and it, you shouldn't be the same today as you were eight years ago, six years ago. Okay, I pulled up a picture of Robbie. Let's just look at this for a second. Here's Robbie. This was in 2016. 
All right, now just to give you perspective, I had been here two years. All right? Um, here's Robbie this, this past Christmas. And even there, he looks younger than he does today. Right? And so if I pull up another picture of Robbie, and it, was the exact, it, looked, it looked like the exact same picture, we would be concerned there was something wrong with Robbie. Right? If we haven't grown spiritually in six years, we should be concerned that there's something wrong with us. Do you feel that you are an emotionally deeper person now than you were when you were a teenager? Right? I mean, you can go into like Piaget and all that kind of stuff and talk about how you develop intellectually. You can reason way better today than you could when you were 12. Have you ever had an argument with a 12-year-old? And they think they're being real logical, and you're like, you, that doesn't even make sense. And they're like, sure it does. And you're like, no, it doesn't. I continue to grow. I'm not the same pastor that I was when I got here eight years ago. I am a different person. My personality probably hasn't changed too much. I'm still a big goofball. But in... But I do think that I'm an emotionally deeper person than I was eight years ago. I think I, I've, I think I've grown in my ability to have empathy. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, a friend of mine lost um, their their mother and uh, or father uh, and father-in-law, and my response was condolences. I'd like to think I'd do a little better job today. So I think I've grown that way. Um, I feel stretched. Do you ever feel stretched? So and I was thinking about this with my faith. Like, I feel stretched in my faith. And I've shared some of that over the years. Like, the, you remember, some of you may remember the time, like, I was reading uh, this thing called pyrotheology, where it's about this idea of burning it all down and seeing what's left as far as your faith is concerned. And I had been reading it, and I came out of the office, and anybody that was in the office, I was like, look, I don't know what I believe anymore, but I still believe in Jesus. <laughs> all right? I feel stretched. And you know what? I like it. I like it. It's where, that's where the growth begins to happen. I think about this. I was interviewed for commissioning in 2011. And then I was interviewed again for ordination in 2014. And I answered the questions, obviously, correctly, because I'm standing before you as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. But the fact is, I wonder sometimes, if I were asked those questions today, if I would answer them differently. And does that mean that I wouldn't be ordained? Now, I will say this. I have shared my thoughts with the bishop, and I'm still ordained, so there you go. Okay? Um, but we should be growing. I'm just going to throw that there. So this passage of Scripture, Peter is talking about this idea of we should still be growing. And there's a lot going on in this passage. He talks about behavior. He talks about growth. He talks about nourishment. And he talks about this idea of tasting. 
And he says nourishment and tasting, right? He describes that in terms of milk. And this nourishment and this tasting are for, for our growth. And our growth is in regards to salvation, which seems to then be connected to behavior. Did you follow all that? All right, let's unpack it just a little bit. So the passage tells us that uh, we begin as newborn babes in faith, newborn babies. This isn't negative. In another passage of Scripture, um, Paul kind of uses this image, or in other passages in, in the New Testament, you see where being a newborn babe is used negatively. It's not being used negatively by Peter. It might be by Paul, but it's not being used that way by Peter. It simply indicates that there's a need for growth, that when you become a person of faith, you, there is a need for growth. And then what, do, what are we told in the Gospels? What should we be like? Children. <clears throat> Children need to grow. There's, I think there's another reason that the Bible also says you shouldn't call anyone else father. Because father is supposed to be the growing up, the wise one. And those of us that are fathers are like, <laughs> right? But, but we're supposed to be growing. And so he says, you're like newborn babes. And, and, and as newborn babes, you need spiritual milk. And it's not, again, milk isn't a bad thing. He's not saying, you're baby, so you need to just, oh, all you can handle is milk. You can't handle food. No, what he's talking about is this idea of the, that you need to be nourished. It's described as pure spiritual milk. And I found that really interesting because the actual root word uh, that of the word that we translate as spiritual is logos rather than pneuma. So logos has to do more with, well, you know, like the word logic comes out of there. It has to do with wisdom, with thinking, with, with words. Um, and then pneuma is the word for spirit. And so I would have assumed that when I looked at that word that it would have been, the root word would have been pneuma, but it wasn't. It was logos. And, and so I, I found that very interesting. That's about as far as I was able to get. So I went to scholars and I began to read what they said. And they said that they believe a better translation is the milk of God's word. The milk of God's word. And so milk becomes this image for the whole range of gifts provided by God. It's a gift and it's grace. That we should be growing through the gift and the grace that we receive from the word of God. Now, I will say this. Verse 3 in this particular translation that I read a few moments ago, it's a horrible translation. Right? It says this. In our verse 3 says, Know that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. It actually just says this. If you tasted that the Lord is good. If you tasted that the Lord is good. And so there's this idea then, right? Like if you have tasted of this milk and you believe that it's good, you've tasted that it's good, then you'll continue to grow. But if you've tasted it and you don't think it is, then you might as well just stop because you're not going to eat of it anyway. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, have you tasted of God's gifts, God's grace, and that you believe it's good? If you do believe it's good, continue to eat. But if you've tasted of God's good and God's grace, God's gift, and you don't think it's good, then you might as well just stop. Now, how many of us think that we've tasted it and we have found it good, but we've stopped anyway? If it is good, Lay's potato chips, you can't eat just one. Remember that commercial? 
And it is true. Is that what you're saying, Hugh? It's true. Right? And that's what Paul's saying, or that's what Peter's saying here. If you've tasted of it, you can't have just one. You got to keep going, and you got to keep going. The word good means easy, good, kind, loving, benevolent. It's krestos. It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, to describe the yoke of Jesus. And so perhaps what this means is that you've tried Jesus' yoke, Jesus' milk, and you found that it is good. The teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, you've tasted of it. You've found out that, you know what? The things that Jesus teaches me, the things that Jesus says is the best way to live, it actually is. I believe it. So we should continue to eat it up so that we can be nourished by Jesus' teaching and we can grow. So let's consider growth for a moment, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're not there yet. So we are, right? We're, we're physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. We continue to grow and mature physically, mentally, emotionally, but we often do stop growing spiritually. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about a little bit when I talk about growing cognitively. Because I think that cognitively, a lot of us think we, we confuse our cognitive growth with our spiritual growth. And, and so we don't want to confuse that. But let me give you an example of cognitive growth. So as a young child, let's talk about cooking for a moment. All right, you have a two-year-old. You tell the two-year-old not to touch the stove. Don't touch the stove, right? That's a good rule for a two-year-old. Probably even a good rule for a five-year-old, six-year-old, whatever. You know your kids. Maybe at 18, you're still telling them not to touch the stove. I don't know. <laughs> Right, But there's a certain level of growth that begins to take place with them. And there's a rule, right? We, we, we make everything. Parents, adults, we make everything for the child. And, and for many children, it's like this meal magically appears. Every, every time we sit down, there's food. Check it out. Right? And how, how great it is that we've got it every time we sit down. And we encourage young children to taste everything because what we've placed on the table, we know it is good. We're not poisoning our children. We know it's good and it's good for them. So we encourage them to try it, try it all. But then they become a young adolescent. And maybe the rule isn't don't touch the stove anymore. You see, because what happens is as you grow up, some rules continue to apply and others don't. And it was a good rule at the time, but if you continue to try to follow that rule, you're actually showing your immaturity. If you were an adult and you walk into a, your kitchen and you're like, oh, and you get all nervous around the stove, I was told as a young person not to touch that. <laughs> we're all going to look at you and be like, what an infant, Right? So young adolescents, I think about myself. At that point, I was expected to help set the table. I didn't necessarily have to eat everything because I had begun to develop my own tastes. And my parents knew. Like, my mom did not make me liver when she made my dad liver. I'm just saying. But I was expected to help clean up. Right? We had a dishwasher. His name was Jeff. 
When I became a teen, in addition to everything that I had started doing as a young adolescent, I began um, to help prepare the meals. My mom went back to work after my brother and sister had grown up, and she went back to work, and she would get everything ready uh, the night before, and then I would come home, and I would put it in the oven. I would maybe put something on the stove, and I would get it going. And because now I had the mental capacity to do that without burning myself or the food. And then eventually you become an adult, and guess what? You're on your own. Right? You're uh, uh, still growing in my taste, expanding my palate. I still am. Like, I I love to try new foods. And I'm, no, not liver. (laughs) No, you can still have that one yourself. Um, And I'm actually, right now, trying to do better learning about nutrition. And what's healthy? Did you know french fries aren't? <laughs> I thought it was a vegetable, I swear. Right, but I mean, we continue to grow. You, you continue to grow mentally in your knowledge and things like that. You can't stop this growth of becoming an adult. You can't. It is inevitable. You are going to grow up. Physically, are you the same that you were eight years ago? You can't stop it. No matter how many commercials there are, how much drugs are out there, how many promises of all the things that you can do in order to stop it, you cannot stop it. Which I think sometimes is the American dream, is to try to stop aging. It's, it's, it's a pipe dream. You're going to continue to grow and mature physically, emotionally, mentally, you need to spiritually. If you think you've grown up and you've arrived, it actually might be an indication of how immature you really are. Teenagers, remember? They think they've got it all figured out. You might be stuck in your teenage years spiritually. We can't stop growing. And what does keep me growing spiritually? We're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to look at a different passage of Scripture. But I do want to just say a couple things. Uh, sometimes we simply ignore our spiritual selves and don't develop beyond our childhood Sunday school lessons. And so think about it. Like, why do we do that, right? Sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that we have somehow arrived and that we have it all figured out and that we think we're all grown up, teenagers, And we still read and we still study, but we no longer learn, grapple, and reason. We study the things that tell us we're right. I pick, you know, we pick books because it just confirms what I already believe. In our faith, we're called to to grapple and to reason. Methodist, quadrilateral, right? What is it? Anybody remember? Jaron, you should remember. You just went through this. Tradition, experience, scripture, reason, all of these things. Daughter of a Methodist minister and sister of a Methodist minister, thank you. There you go. Um, Sometimes we expect others to continue being responsible for our own spiritual growth. 
I, okay, no one's ever said this here. Um, but I have been at other churches where someone has come up to me and they say they're going to be leaving the church because they don't feel like they're being fed. <laughs> I got to tell you, I have teenagers that if they don't feel like they're being fed, they know where the pantry is. <laughs> if, if you're still waiting around trying to figure out like how I can be fed, you actually might be in early childhood development within a spiritual sense. So spiritually speaking, what are we growing into? What are we growing in? It's a full experience of salvation is what the passage of Scripture tells us. You grow in a full experience of salvation. I think it's important. There's There's a difference between the NRV and the NRSV. The NRSV says you're growing into salvation. The NIV, and I may have that backwards, one of them says into your salvation. The other one says growing in your salvation. Do you see the slight difference? Into means you haven't gotten it yet, but you're growing into it. The other one means you've got it and you're growing in it. And actually, the best way to think about this is you've already got it, now just grow in it. You've got, you've got it. It's a gift. It's, it's grace and it's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now grow in it. So what are we growing in? The salvation. So if we are to continue to grow in our salvation, what is salvation? Well, according to Peter, it's clearly not knowledge or belief. You're not growing in knowledge of God. You're not growing in your beliefs about God. Somehow he's connecting it to to, um, behavior, not correct understanding. Growing in our salvation is connected to behavior. And I thought about this. In our Sunday school last week, we talked about, like, what is salvation? And so I spent some time thinking about it. And and here's where I ended up. It's like, you know what? I am experiencing... You know, I'm going to do away with the word salvation for a moment. I'm just going to say growing. I believe that I'm growing and I am digressing daily. Daily. I grow when I don't allow myself to take the moral high ground when engaged in a discussion with another person. I grow when I don't automatically think that I'm more intelligent than you when we have a conversation. I grow when I don't think, let me educate you, but I actually spend some time trying to be educated. It's in those moments that I grow, but I'm digressing, I'm dying, if you will, when I'm deceitful, a hypocrite, jealous, and speaking unkindly, as he says in verse 1. A bit of my soul dies at times, and at other times it's nourished. At times I'm growing into the person that God wants me to be. And at other times I'm killing that person within me. And these words, these behaviors, they're relational, aren't they? The very things that are killing my soul, my spirit, are the very same things that are damaging relationships with God and with people. There's a word for that in our tradition. It's called sin. And I think this is why that I can say I am being saved from my sins daily. I should be growing 
in my salvation daily, growing into the person that God has called me to be, has created me to be. Grow into a full experience of salvation is something that we are doing now. You are becoming the person right now that you will be forever. What do they say? I don't remember. At what point do personalities seem to develop? It's pretty early on. Is it like five or six years old? Maybe ten at the latest? Something like that? Before that, I'm getting a teacher telling me it's even before that. Okay, yeah, really young, right? And, and the, like, it's not going to change. It's, it's going to develop. It's going to mature. But you can see the personality already. It's not like one day when they're 60, they're going to be like, I don't want to be this anymore. Right? Like, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, my personality hasn't changed. But my, physically, oh God, I'm like 60 pounds heavier than I was when I got here eight years ago. Right? Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> Emotionally, I'm, I'm a different person. Intellectually, I'm a different person. Spiritually, I'm a different person. But, but who I am hasn't really changed. You see, and so, so if we think that we can just run around being jerks, and that when I die, all of a sudden I'll become something different and I'll get to then spend the rest of my life in heaven. We've totally missed the point of what this entire New Testament is about. And especially this passage of Scripture. We are in the process of becoming who we will be forever. Do we believe that what Jesus taught is good? That it's gift? that it's grace. And if we do, we need to continue to find our nourishment there. So the question you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, is what kind of person am I becoming? Amen.